0: Corinthians 12, <clears throat> $60 billion, $60 billion are spent by Americans on diets, and trying to lose weight, $2.6 billion are spent on gym memberships, Paul says uh, bodily exercise does profit, does profit a little. But Americans have been infatuated on perfecting our bodies. Well, our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's important to care for. I'm sad to say that the emphasis on perfecting our bodies has led to the neglect of the most important body, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And If there is anybody who is intent on perfecting their body, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. The church and First Corinthians twelve verses twelve through twenty seven uh, will reveal to us how he perfect he, he perfectly uh, perfectly completes he com- he perfects he he shines he hones the body of Christ through four things that we'll see this morning. This morning you'll see that he perfects the body of Jesus Christ his own body through gospel unity gospel unity. The second thing we'll see this morning is that he perfects the body of Christ through intentional diversity, intentional diversity. The third thing we'll see is that he perfects the body of Christ through humble dependency, humble dependency, and the fourth is he perfects the body of Christ through single authority, or single authority. We've got work to do, let's look at the text, 1 Corinthians 12, we'll start off in verses 12 and 13. He says, for as the body is one and hath many members. Now he has led up to, in the the first few verses, verses 1 through 11, telling us that there are many spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts that are, are to be used for the edifying and building up of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are diversities. And these have all come through the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit has has, has, uh, has laid these out, he has, uh, he has put these in his people uh, in order to build up the body of Jesus Christ. And he has done it exactly how he wants. He has given this person this gift because that is what he wants this person to have. He has given this person this other gift because that is what he wishes that person to have. Because he sees the big picture, he sees the whole tapestry, he can see how it all is working together. So that is what the Holy Spirit has done. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on spiritual gifts this morning because we did do that earlier in the summer uh, in Romans chapter 12. But I want us to see in verses 12 and 13 that here's the reason for these spiritual gifts. He says right off, as the body is one and half many parts or members. Now, when you read that word members, I want you to be thinking in your head Parts. Parts. Sometimes members has uh, certain certain connotations. I want you to think parts. It's made up of many different parts. That's what Paul's trying to get across to us. And all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. A body has many parts, but all the parts together make up that one body. So Paul says, as that is true in the physical realm, so it is in Christ. In Christ. Look what he says in verse thirteen. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. By one spirit, the spirit of God that he has spent the first 11 verses talking about how he rules among his body. We are immersed into one body and that is the body of Jesus Christ. And so we have been baptized into one body and it doesn't matter what our social classifications were before. He says whether we be Jews or Gentiles... Um, uh, bond are free, slaves are free, we have been all made to drink into one spirit. So he's talking in verse 13 about what theologians call spirit baptism. Spirit baptism. There are many different interpretations of this. I think the one that has the most weight and fits in with the whole of scripture is that the spirit baptism is the baptism of the spirit that everybody who has ever believed in this New Testament age, has experienced at the moment of salvation. I think you could take a cross-reference to Romans chapter 8, verse 9, that you could look on at your own time. But in that baptism, regardless of nationality, whether Jew or Greek, regardless of station of life, Whether bond or free, you are identified with Christ. You are made a part of His church. You are baptized into one body and you are indwelt by the Spirit. You are given the Spirit to drink. He's not talking about water baptism. Although I will say that water baptism is a picture of this very thing. You see, we understand, many of us who have been saved for a while, uh, probably understand uh, that, that, that baptism is a picture of our union with Christ. We are connected to the Lord Jesus Christ and His death and His burial and His resurrection. That's a picture of what baptism is. But we forget another part of that. The other part of that is if we are united to the head, connected to Jesus Christ, and baptism is a picture of that, it is not... Uh, baptism does not save you is a picture of what has gone on into salvation we forget the other part is that the, uh, the baptism also pictures your connection to the body you see nowhere in the new testament do you find somebody saying i need to be baptized and they go down to the water and they bend their knees and dunk themselves and say i'm baptized you know why because there is always another believer baptizing them why because it is a picture of what Paul here is saying in 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. We are connected to the body of Christ, his church. And so when you are baptized, physically baptized, you are saying, I am, I am professing to the watching world that I am united to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and America has kind of forgotten this, I am connected to his body, the church. And that's why we all stand on the banks and we watch. Because we are receiving that person. We are welcoming them on their profession of faith. And so spirit baptism is not a literal water baptism here. It is the immersion of the uh, individuals who have been saved into the body of Christ. Who Paul says in verse 13, have been all made to drink into one spirit. What imagery there? Drink into one spirit. What is he saying? Well, you might have a better understanding of what he's saying about giving, uh, being, uh, drinking in the One Spirit. If you turn to John chapter 7, one of those early passages where John and the Jesus starts to hint and allude at what's coming here with the Holy Spirit who's going to come after him. If you look in John chapter 7, verse 38 and 39, or excuse me, verse 37, John seven thirty-seven. There's a rich cultural picture here that... Uh, uh, it would be a, a great message sometime, but not today uh, during the feast it says John seven thirty seven. in that last day the great day of the feast Jesus stood and cried saying if any man thirst let him come unto me and drink now Jesus has said in John 4 that I'm the living water, you need to drink of me But Jesus here explains, or John includes, uh, in verse 39, what he's talking about here when he says, come to me and drink. By the way, those of you who are in Sunday school class um, on the doctrine of the the Trinity here uh, can maybe start to put these connections together, hopefully a little better. Verse 38, Jesus says, He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. You'll drink of me, and out of that you will flow out. It'll flow out of you. See, understand this principle. That we need to understand as the church of Jesus Christ, that what God has done to you in the gospel, He wants to do through you. Look what he says in verse 39. John includes this interpretational remark. Through the Holy Spirit, John says this. But... In other words, unless you simply reference this to only mean Jesus Christ, as if that wasn't full enough. John says, but this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So what's Jesus saying and John saying here? He's saying, this drinking of Jesus is a spirit. It's drinking of the Spirit. It's spiritual life through the Spirit. That's why, and we have the fruit <clears> of the Spirit. That is, that is the, that is the out of the bellies flowing forth living water, eternal life. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And so, what Paul is saying in First Corinthians 12 is that we have something as the body of Christ that bonds us that unites us, that joins us. It's this baptism of the Spirit, which is just the gospel. It's the work of God in our lives, the gospel. And we have now spiritual life through Him as we drink of the Spirit, uh, as, as we, the Spirit delivers the life of Christ, and as we take that in, uh, out of that then flows the life of Christ to others. And so what God has done to us then, we do, He does through us. So we're united to Christ and united to his body. That's spirit baptism, and that's what physical baptism is a picture of. That's a side note here. So what is Paul saying? We're one in the gospel. We're one in the gospel. And so the very first point is we have gospel unity. That is what makes us the the body of Christ. Unity in the gospel. Gospel unity. Flip over with me to see Paul put it another way in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. Verse 1. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, he's going to now tell what that foundation for that happening is. And here's what it is. Verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, which I take as spirit baptism that we're looking at in 1 Corinthians 12, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And then he talks about the diversity after that, but he establishes it with the unity we have in the gospel, just like he does in 1 Corinthians 12. Where does this come from? Why can we have unity? Well, this is an eternal truth. I want you to understand this morning that unity of, of those uh, of the Godhead and his people is rooted in the triune God in the Trinity. They are united. See, Jesus says in, the, in his last prayer for his people in John chapter 17, the night before he dies, Jesus says... This, in John 17, 11, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Our unity is rooted in the triune God, who has given us the gospel in order to unite us with him and with each other. He says later on in John chapter 17, verse 20 through 23, He says, neither pray I for these alone, the ones that are up in the room with him, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. I hope that's you this morning, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me and the glory what sets me apart, which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one even as we are one. He is praying for gospel unity. And that's what 1 Corinthians 12 is all about. This gospel unity is unity in the gospel. I and them and thou and me that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Do you understand this? That what God has done to us, he wants to do through us. That the unity He brought to us and uniting us to the triune God and to each other is a missional unity. It's for mission. He says that the world may see this. The gospel makes us one because it connects us to Christ. And you can really see this happen in the book of Acts, can't you? Remember in Acts chapter 2, after the Spirit comes in, uh, and, and, uh, and dwells among his people in his people in Acts chapter 2 at the end after Peter's message uh, when many are saved they are baptized and he says they're added to the church you know what the last few verses of Acts 2 says happens? an amazing thing that doesn't happen naturally it says verse 42 and they togetherness Continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship, koinonia, community, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. You know what happened? A snapshot of heaven happened. And all that believed were together and had all things common. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord, gospel unity in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They actually liked each other. They enjoyed hanging out with each other. Did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Praising God, and notice this, it has a missional aspect to it. What God does to them, He does through them. It says, in having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church, daily as such should be saved. So don't just look at gospel unity as something, yeah, yeah, that's what the liberals. (laughs) say. No. There's a missional aspect to this. God is glorified, and there is an attractiveness to it. You want to do a further study in unity, study the book of Philippians. You might want to jot down these references for further study on this idea of gospel unity. Philippians 1, 5 through 7. Paul keeps talking about striving together with one mind here. Philippians 1, 27. The example of the Lord Jesus Christ in chapter 2. So, chapter 1, 5 through 7. Chapter 1, verse 27. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. And chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, where he has to call out two ladies in the church who weren't unified. The and Synchtheke. And he says, you guys are my partners in the gospel, and you're not unified. You're hurting something here. You're hurting our mission. We can't be partners in the gospel if you're not unified. Get it right, and let's get it together and go forward. So there is gospel unity. Secondly, I want you to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in verses 14 through 20, there is intentional diversity. This is what... um, 1 Corinthians 12, the emphasis usually is on, and the, and the messages, um, that there is a, a, a great diversity. This seems to be the thrust of what Paul's trying to get across to these Corinthians, who had all kinds of factions and schisms and said, I follow this guy, I follow this guy. I'm not hanging out with them, no way. Um, and whoa, they're down here on this cast, so they can't share my food, 1 Corinthians 11. Paul says, No, you all working together here. He says, There is intentional diversity. My kids um, uh, got, some, got some candy a couple weeks ago, right? All kinds of bags of candy. They had everything. Um, I always take the chocolate and let them have the hard stuff. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, they have years ahead for their teeth, right? Uh, but, uh, but, but they had all kinds of uh, um, uh, candy, different varieties of candy. Um, and it was all in one bag, though. These candies weren't all the same. They were all different. Each of them had something different that they could offer, right? The Jolly Ranchers offer that they get stuck on your teeth. Um, The 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 Kit Kats, my favorite, Um, they offer that crispy rice wafer with the chocolate coating, right? Everything had something different to offer. There is a there is a diversity in there, and the genius of the church that God has planned is that there is both unity. But it does not mean uniformity, that we all look the same and all think exactly the same and have the same perspectives of it and everything and, and have come to the same conclusions. No, it doesn't mean that. I was part of a church that believed that in the past, that you all had to look the same. You all had to do exactly the same thing, have exactly the same uh, standards and convictions about everything. And it, uh, it, it, it ended up driving people away. But the genius of the plan of the church is that there is both gospel unity and intentional diversity. There is unity and diversity. And you have to have both here. They're like two pistons, you know. They're both chugging. Uh, One goes down, the other's going up. Alright, they've got to have both here. There's unity and diversity. And by the way, you know that the oil is that keeps them greased and lubricated is? The next chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. That brings the whole book together here in the service part of the church. But what Paul is saying in verses 14 through 20 is this. He says, verse 14, the body is not one member but many. It's made up of different parts. And um, the different parts can't look at the other parts and say that, well, I'm not that and I want to be that. No, they got to operate according to the purpose they're designed for. At the foot, shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body. Does that mean it's not of the body? No, it's just confusing its thinking, isn't it? doesn't change the truth. If the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? No, it's still part of the body. It's got to operate according to how an eye operates and not as an ear operates. If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? We need all parts. With the lower hearing, where were the smelling? But now, hath God set the members, every one of them in the bodies that hath pleased them. See that verse there? That's why it says intentional diversity. Intentional. God has designed this. This is a sovereign plan of God. God does not make everybody pastors. God does not make everybody with a gift of mercy. God does not make everybody with etc., etc., etc. He's designed you exactly as He calls you to be designed and operate for as you're filled with the Holy Spirit. There's intentional diversity. So no believer should think of himself or his gift as inferior and, so, and desire another member's gift. The gifts were haphazardly dis- distributed, but they were carefully arranged according to the perfect will of God. Go with me to, to, to Romans chapter 12 again and be reminded of this. Paul starts off in chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 reminding us of our position before God because of God's mercy to us. What he's done to us, he wants to do through us, okay? So, by the mercies of God, he saved you. And so it's by the mercies of God that then you present your body, surrender to him. To be renewed, not conform to the world's values, but what God's values are. And then he says in verse 3, I say, for the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members or parts one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is to us then any lists. The gifts here, and how they're to operate. There is an intentional diversity here. An intentional diversity. You see... If there, was, uh, if there was unity without diver- diversity, it would just produce uniformity, right? And uniformity tends to produce death. Life is a balance here between unity and diversity. And the body needs different functions if it's to live and to grow and to serve. It's not my job to compare myself to another part of God's body or contrast myself because we're different. Each one's important. Now, I guess, in the physical sense, that I could learn to walk on my hands, but I would prefer to use my feet, because that's what they're made for. And I haven't learned to type or eat with my feet yet, though I'm sure there's some people like that out there. And the ear can't see, and the eye can't hear, and each organ has an important ministry. And have you ever tried to smell through your ears? It doesn't work, Paul says. Right? So it's not that the different parts are inferior to one another. He's making the point that they're all essential. They're all essential. And they're not to be hoarded in a corner. The next verses tell us why they're not inferior. And, not, and, and they are important. You see, there is a... Because we're made in the image of God and He has crafted you, uh, we're united in that's. Aspect, but we're all different. He has never made exactly the same human being. Even identical twins, of course, are different. That exalts your standing. He's made each of you very, very special. He has gifted you very, very specifically. There is no one that can do exactly what you can do and the way you can do it. There are people out there that God has designed you to reach that other people. He has not designed you to reach. And that's why we don't have to feel inferior. In Christ, He exalts us. Because He exalts Christ working in us. That's why we don't have to feel uh, um, uh, useless. Because what God has done to you, He wants to do through you. And it leads us to the next point there. Here. That there is a humble dependency of working together. Humble dependency that he wants to do with this unity that we have in the gospel. This diversity that we have with all our different gifts. He wants us to produce, he wants to produce in, this, in us a mutuality. A humble dependency. Verses 21 through 26. And the eye cannot say into the hand, I have no need of thee. God says, that's not going to happen in the body of Christ. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. I went to the dentist this week and had a lot of dental work. done. had some cavities filled. If you have, a, have ever had a toothache, you understand what Paul is saying in this verse. Your tooth is a very small part of your body, but it has a great influence on the rest of you. You ever had a hangnail? All right. <laughs> Maybe you understand here then what Paul's saying. There's parts that might seem uh, inferior. They might seem like they, they, they don't have an important job. But I'll tell you what, you know when they're not doing what they're supposed to do. In fact, that's what happens with a lot of diseases, right? The body uh, has, has wrongly identified something with immune deficiencies and things and allergies, has wrongly defined, uh, uh, identified something as an enemy of the body, and it just converges on it. It's a bad thing. And unity and diversity is discovered as the body works together and depends on each other. There's mutual interdependence. Verse twenty three. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon those we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts of more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need are attractive parts, but God has tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Now he brings it back to us here. Takes the illustration of the body, brings it back to the church. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you're the body of Christ and members in particular. See, when a part of the human body becomes independent, that's when you got a serious Problem. You ever meet somebody who had Tourette syndrome, and they have functions of their body that, are, that they, they just can't control, right? And then that's when life really becomes a struggle and a problem. It's not in sync with the rest of the body. Uh, in a healthy human body, the various members cooperate with each other. They even compensate for each other when a crisis happens. But the instant, the very instant that any part of the body says to another part, I don't need you, it begins to weaken and die and create problems for the whole body. Warren Rearsby says this: It is God who bestows the gifts and assigns the offices. He has a perfect plan, not only for the church as a whole, but also for each local congregation. We have no reason to believe that each congregation in the New Testament possessed all the gifts. The church at Corinth was an especially gifted assembly. However, God gives to each congregation just the gifts it needs when they are needed. I put in your bulletin a, a handout called uh, that I just called the Service Talent Bank Survey here. Um, and uh, if you didn't get one because I know some of you share bulletins I think there are some more out there on the floor you can grab it on your way out but we have an identity as the body of Christ and that means we've got to work together we've got to find out what we're able to do now this is not a list of what your spiritual gifts are this is more of a list of how your spiritual gifts may exhibit themselves Specific services you're capable of rendering, when you might be able to do that. Um, I encourage you to, to fill that out, just so we know uh, when their needs come up, maybe you might be able to help in those needs, as Scripture says we're supposed to do. And verses um, uh, 25 and, and 26 are supposed to serve there. So make sure you pick one of those out. I won't judge you if you don't fill it out here. Uh, but I encourage you to do so so we can better be a body that serves. Back at Romans chapter 12, verse 5, Paul says this, So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one, members, listen to this, One of another. You know what that means? You don't belong to yourself. Your service doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the church. You are to use what God has given you for the body. For the advance of the body, evangelism, and for the building up of the body in discipleship and service. So there is humble dependency Later, Paul will say this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, which is very interesting. Bringing this analogy of the body out again, he puts it this way. He says this, 4.16 of Ephesians. From whom the whole body, Jesus, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to... To the effectual or the effective working, the effective working of what? The effective working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body and the edifying of itself in love. You see, we all like that last phrase that the body is supposed to make increase, that it's supposed to grow, that it's supposed to build itself up in love. But how does Paul say that happens? It happens as we're connected to the head, Jesus Christ, and as every part does its. Job. Every part does its job. We've got to be committed to each other. If you come to church as a spectator, then you're missing the point. There's ministry that can go on before the service, all right? Ministry that can go on after the service. If you're always late coming in and you're the first one to leave when it's going out, you're missing an, an opportunity here to. Do this! There's opportunities, and it doesn't have to be in a formal setting like this. There's other ways, in fact, really the other ways uh, outside of our Sundays are really kind of the bread and butter, aren't they? The real life. So there's a humble dependency. And finally, I wanted you to see this here. There is a single authority. There's a single authority. Paul doesn't bring this out as much in 1 Corinthians 12. But assumed in this picture of the church that is hinted at in even verse 12, we have the head of the body. The head of the body. The songs this morning were designed to exalt the head of the body, Jesus. You see, everything the spirit wants to do in the body is because of Jesus. Jesus is the reason there's gospel unity. At salvation, we're joined with Christ. Jesus is the reason there is intentional diversity. If you read Ephesians 4, 7 and 11, it tells us that at the cross and the resurrection, when Jesus died, He measured out exactly the grace gift He wanted each of us to have. He gave the gifts to people. He, when He ascended on high, He distributed it so that He would be exalted and glorified as He fills His church through the gifts of His people. Jesus is the reason for humble dependence. And that last point. He leaves the glory and majesty of heaven. He joins us and serves us on His hands and knees. He even gives His life in place of ours. Jesus is the source of the body of Christ. Jesus is the authority of His church. Jesus is in charge. It's not me, though I'm an under-shepherd. Jesus is the ultimate head. This is His body. That brings it all in perspective. This isn't what a few people are trying to build here. No, this is all together. We are under the lordship of Jesus Christ, the headship of Jesus Christ. And this is what Jesus is trying to build. And if Jesus was standing here instead of me, he I hope would say the exact same thing. And how, should we, how would we respond if Jesus was standing in front of you and saying, This is my body. Do your part. Do your job. Partner with it. Join it. Become a member of it. Be committed and do it. Do the task. He's the source. Colossians 1.18 And he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Colossians 2.19 and not holding the head from which all the body, by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God. It's what he said in Ephesians four sixteen, Ephesians one twenty two and twenty three, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. All the unity that comes, as we believe comes when we believe he's the head and we're the body. All the diversity that comes, comes as we believe that he is the head and we are the body. All the dependency that comes, comes as we believe that he is the head and we are the body. He is the authority and everything true about his church as his body is true because he is the head of the body. So as we close here, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And think about this. Paul starts out talking about our unity that we saw. Ephesians 4 1 through 6. And then he talks about how Jesus has given us grace and gifts out of that grace. Grace being the Holy Spirit and the ability to obey him through the Holy Spirit and minister through him. And then he talks about the specific offices and men he has given to teach the saints, to equip the saints, to do the work of the ministry. And then he says this. Verse 12. For the perfecting or completion or equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect or complete man unto the measure, of the stature, the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children. This is, this is, now he's going to describe what it means to not be uh, grown in the unity of faith, the faith and knowledge of the Son of God unto a complete man, the measure, of the stature. This is what it is not. Immaturity, verse 14. Tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slate of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, that is the gospel. If you look down further in the passage, the truth is the gospel. Speaking the truth in love, they grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplyeth. According to the effectual working and the measure of every part, make it increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Jesus is focused on filling the church with his fullness, of forming his perfect image in his church, of growing the church in every way into his likeness, and he does this as we grow in gospel unity and in intentionally in his intentionally designed diversity and humble dependence that builds the body. As we all do our part in connection with each other, and his exaltation as we keep him the head of the church. You know how this happens? The one another's of the New Testament. One third of the one another commands in the New Testament deal with unity be at peace with one another, don't grumble among one another, be of the same mind with one another, accept one another, um, etc. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving, bear with, forgive one another, seek the good for one another, don't complain, confess sins to one another. One-third of them instruct Christians to love one another. Love one another. Through love, serve one another. Tolerate one another in love. Ephesians 4.2 Greet one another with a, with a kiss of love. Be devoted to one another in love. About 15% of them stress an attitude of humility and deference. Some give and take among believers. Give preference to one another and honor. Uh, regard others as more important than yourself. Serve one another. Don't be proud. Be of the same mind. Be subject to one another. Clothe yourself in humility toward one another. And the rest, say this. I'm paraphrasing these. Don't judge one another. And don't put a stumbling block in another brother's way. Greet one another with a kiss. Husbands and wives, don't deprive one another of physical intimacy. Bear one another's burdens, speak truth to one another, don't lie to one another, comfort one another concerning the resurrection, encourage and build up one another, stimulate one another, love and good deeds, pray for one another, be hospitable to one another. And those are in the epistles. We even talk about all the ones in the gospels. Mark Hall writes this. But if we are the body, why aren't his arms reaching? Why aren't his hands healing? Why aren't his words teaching? If we are the body, why aren't his feet going? Why is his love not showing them there is a way? There is a way. Are you surrendered to the head to serve the body? Are you committed to the body? If you are not connected to the body, you are not connected to the head. Jesus is the head of his church. And he loves us too much to let us rob ourselves of joy in him by neglecting sacrificing ourselves for his body. Let's pray. Lord, again, we do thank you for your goodness, for your love. We thank you for your power. We thank you for this bride that you have showered your love upon and designed to be joined to you as a part of your body, designed to, uh, to to do the ministry that you called us to do. We ask now that we be surrendered vessels as we sing, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.